Welcome to episode number 40 of Circles Off. I'm Rob Pizzola, joined by Johnny from Betstamp. Has it been 40 already? It's 40 episodes. Crazy. It's actually flown by pretty fast. It's getting more difficult to come up with topics. That's why we keep filling with guests, but I'm very happy we got this guest for this week. Uh, He really doesn't need an introduction, but I will give him one regardless. You can follow him on Twitter, at CapJack2000, ProGambler, Twitter loudmouth. He said that himself, by the way. (laughs) And part of the team at unabated.com, Captain Jack Andrews. It's great to have you on Circles Off. Hey, boys. It's uh, it's a pleasure to be here. 40 episodes. Wow. Congratulations. Is that, I guess that's every episode's a a, a milestone, right? When you're when you're under a hundred. So good job. Yeah. I mean, I, it's all blended together now. Like it, you, you do content yourself, so you kind of know about it, but uh, it gets tougher and tougher. I think as you go on, we'll get into that a little bit, Jack, later on, because uh, I definitely want to touch on the content side of things with you. But for those who are listening for the first time, myself and Johnny have heard you on other podcasts before. We know your background a little bit, but we've never really heard like a full backstory from you of how you got into the gambling space. So let's start there. Oh, and one more. And why, why is your uh, handle CapJack2000? This is a personal one I always wanted to know. Okay. Uh, you know, I'll take that last question first. Cause, uh, so I started in gambling around 1999 and, uh, I signed up for this website, BJ 21, and I'll get into a little bit here why I was signed up for this website called BJ 21 and BJ blackjack, <laughs> just throwing that out there. Um, and so they required a handle and I just on the spot said, all right, blackjack, captain Jack, it's a Billy Joel song. Yeah, I, I kind of like that. Went with it. Captain Jack is what I chose. Uh, and then shortly thereafter, I realized that my email address in real life what had my name in it. So I had to create a secondary email address. And I actually had capjack at hotmail.com. Um, and I, I still have it, actually. But for whatever reason, I decided I'll, you know, I'll try this. Uh, I'll, I'll try out Yahoo Mail. This is back in 2000, right? And so I signed up at Cap for CapJack at Yahoo.com, and it was already taken for some reason. So since it was the dawn of the millennium, I went CapJack 2000. Uh, long story short, like whenever I have run into something where I sign up for and, and CapJack is already taken, I use CapJack 2000. So that's how CapJack 2000 came apart. Um, I'm, I'm sure you're sorry you even asked. That. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I was just wondering, like, what, what kind of, like, it was a little, at first, I didn't know which way we were going to go. Because you said you signed up for that site. I was like, is that, was that a gambling site? Was that, you know, the whole BJ21? I was like, okay, could, this could go a lot of different ways. But I'm glad it was just, you know, it was a blackjack site, Capjack2000. And then obviously that transferred over to your, your Twitter handle. And then I did hear you actually tell the story of the Twitter picture um, on a previous podcast. So we can, we can skip that, but, uh, yeah, right. let's, let's get into it. Um, obviously, like Rob said, you're definitely well known in the Twitter gambling space in the sharp betting community. Um, and you definitely need no introduction there, but to anyone who doesn't know who you are and stuff like that, let's give a nice background. Yeah. So I, I made my first trip to Las Vegas when I was 23 or 24. Uh, and I fell in love with it. Like I just fell in love with that casino vibe. I had grown up in New Jersey. I'd been to Atlantic City plenty of times. Atlantic City and Las Vegas are two totally polar opposite places. And I just loved the, the, whole, the whole scene in Las Vegas. 
I don't love it so much anymore. It's one of these things, I guess, it was I was young in my early 20s, and it just seemed so exciting, like anything was possible, right? And on that first trip, I remember, I, and I've told this story, I, I, played, I played craps with Joe Theismann, Don Shula, and Mercury Morris at the same craps table. And this was in hours of me just arriving in Las Vegas for the first time. And that first trip, I think I won like $300 over the course of three or four days. And I, I left there and I go, how can I make it so that when I go to casinos, I don't, I don't lose? How can I get the best of it, right? And that led me to card counting blackjack. Because that's sort of the gateway drug when it comes to advantage play or getting an edge in a casino is card counting. So I signed up for that aforementioned BJ21, which was kind of the premier community for card counters back in that time. It was run by Stanford Wong, of the Wong teaser. And it was, uh, and I, I kind of grew up as an advantage player through that website. And uh, as a card counter, I was never really great at it. I, I Card counting's not, it's not hard, but it's not easy. And you got to put a lot of time in, you got to put a lot of effort in. Uh, I was always looking for the next thing. And that's sort of been, if you want to draw a pattern through my entire career as a professional gambler, I'm always looking for the next thing. So card counting led to a bunch of other casino games that I would try to get an edge at. And that actually led to online casinos back in the early 2000s. This was goldenpalace.com and um, a casino on net and places like that. And uh, it was not unlike today where you could get these ridiculous bonuses for signing up and then you'd have to churn through them on their games. And typically I would just play this video blackjack or I'd play video poker and churn through the bonus and then cash out. And You'll roll over repeat. requirements and then get out. Yeah, got it. Right. And back in this time, I remember the first time I did, the roller requirement was just one time through. You just had to wager and you got like $50 one time through and I cashed out like $47. So I played $51 hands of blackjack. I was a, I was a nit back then. And so I would just churn through these, rinse and repeat, and I was building a bankroll that way. And it was, it was very easy to make six figures doing this with very low variance. So you're doing all these online casinos. What does that lead to? Well, it leads to online sports books. I had never been on sports growing up or in my you know, early 20s up to that point. So I decided to you know, dive into sports betting. This is around 2002, 2003, around there. And I was, I was the kind of person I was always looking for. What kind of angle can I get here? And I stumbled on a lot of prop bets that I figure out ways to beat. And it was Stanford Wong's book was out at this time, Sharp Sports Betting. He had a chapter in there called Poison Props, using the Poison distribution to beat various prop bets. And I was, I was using that. I was, you know, every prop bet I could find, I was trying to backward fit into a Poison distribution in order to find a way to, you know, get a probability for a certain point or for the line that was offered. And that's, that's how I got into it. And, you know, as I went through sports betting, one sport led to another, led to another, led to prop betting, led to straight betting, led to totals betting, things like that, on and on. Um, but in around 2006, 2007, everything started to dry up online because the UIGEA was passed in the United States. Online casinos dried up. Funding online sportsbooks became a lot tougher. And I moved back into casino play. And I was doing a lot of casino play from that point up through early 2010s area there. And then New Jersey announced they were 
going to attempt to legalize sports betting. And I said, okay, I'm going to back into sports betting because it's going to be legal here in New Jersey in 2012. I'm ready for it. And I just focused on sports betting. Uh, that fight took a lot longer than anyone anticipated. It was 2018 before we had our first regulated sports book. In the meantime, I was playing through PPHs and agents, um, just blazing through accounts, uh, using other people to get accounts for me and chopping them into it, that sort of thing. And, uh, and also doing my casino hustle on the side. Uh, and it was around 2012 that I decided, you know what? I don't need this job that I had at the time. I, was, I worked in IT for a large law firm. I don't need this job anymore. I can do this. I got enough angles that I can beat casinos. I can beat sports books. I'm just going to do this full time. Uh, and that's when I took the plunge to be a professional gambler. So what year was this when you, when you officially called the quits on the IT job? 2013, January 1st, 2013 was my first day as a, as a, all my income relies on my gambling skill. So that, that's awesome. almost a full decade now as a, as a pro gambler, which is huge. Uh, I noticed you use the word knit for anyone who doesn't know. That's like the poker terminology, or at least I grew up in poker for someone who plays extremely tight uh, very few hands where that kind of comes from for anyone who might be confused by that. But um, I'm curious, Jack, when, like, you, you know, you, you first started out in the early 2000s going through some sort of, of casino gaming strategy and trying to make a buck. Was it always a thing where you were, you were like looking for some sort of side income and you enjoyed it? Or, or did you actually, you know, continue pursuing this and envision this being some sort of long thing for you, long-term thing for you down the road? No, Rob, actually, when I started out, the income that I was making from it, I just thought, oh, that's, that's just fun money. I, I wasn't even really serious about my bankroll. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd get cash from these casinos. I'd get these checks in the mail from the online casinos. And I just throw that into my checking account and, you know, maybe buy something extra here and there, that sort of thing. It was, it was all just um, discretionary income that I was making on the side. It wasn't until I started to get some real money from it that I was like, oh, wait a minute, I'm making more at this than I am at my day job. And it's far easier than my day job is. And the job I had required a two hour commute each direction. Uh, so that was really starting to weigh down on my personal life as well as um, my quality of living. And so, yeah, I, that's when I said, okay, I can get serious about this. I can create a business plan. I can conduct myself as a business. I can do this. Uh, I looked into the tax structure that was available, and I, I said, this is, this is viable for me. Um, that was right around the time Obamacare was coming into play. So I had that as sort of like, oh, I can get health benefits for my family, and it's not too expensive. Um, it, you know, it all kind of fell in line there in, around 2013. And, uh, and so I, I made that leap. That makes a lot of sense. We will get into sports betting here really shortly. I just want to ask you out of pure curiosity because of the blackjack card counting stuff. Um, I, I've, I count cards as well, but it's like a high-low strategy, very basic. How deep into it did you get? Like, uh, I know there's all sorts of, of different card counting strategies. There's uh, Omega 2, Red 7. There's like the halves card counting strategy. Uh, how sophisticated did you get into that? And how much were you actually practicing at the time when you were, were doing blackjack professionally? I was using knockout okay. KO, yep. which is uh, one of the most simple counts. And I'm going by the, the school of thought that those higher edge counts are worth more EV theoretically, but if you make a mistake, it negates a lot of your expected value. So therefore you use a simple count in order to make less mistakes and you make up for it in the long run 
uh, you know, by, you know, higher volume. Uh, I was never a great card counter. I was, first of all, I lived near Atlantic City. So my training was I'd go down to Atlantic City. They had a six deck game at the AC Hilton and I'd play that. And I was kind of always under bankroll for what I was doing. Um, but, I, you know, here's the thing, Rob. I was getting more and more into this advantage play culture. And this community, uh, BJ21 at, at the time was about a thousand members. Uh, it was a, it was very, it was the, it was kind of the the place to meet other other card counters. Uh, and I was on there for well, I'm still actually an, on there as a member. Twenty years later, um, it's it's not as fledging as it as it, fledgling as it used to be, but it's it's still a great place to talk about advantage play and card counting and even sports betting, um, and. Yeah. So, you know, card counting was never really like what I hung my hat on in terms of making money. It was sort of what to the whole culture of advantage play. Right. Just finding an edge somehow, basically. Yeah. So, Captain, before we end up going to uh, the sports betting stuff, one thing I want to ask on the casino, which we never we've never actually talked about casino advantage play on this podcast. Maybe we can have some other guests on in the future, but. Um, everyone knows card counting, right? It's, it's easy. Everyone's like, oh yeah, you card count. Everyone's seen, uh, 21, the movie, different things like that. Read these books. Um, you don't have to give out any specific edges that you might've had or had now, but would you be able to discuss a little bit about some other edges that were, you know, casino AP exclusive edges that existed in the past? Sure. Uh, here's the thing, Johnny, every casino game can be beaten under the right circumstances. That's what every, we like to hear. <laughs> and so you just need to know what those circumstances are. And the circumstance might be something very esoteric. You know, it might be something like, well, if you have a loss rebate, then playing roulette, a single number on roulette, which pays 35 to one, but the odds of it hitting are 38 to one if you're on a, a double zero roulette wheel. If you're, if you're, you know, but, but you have a loss rebate, then that's sort of like playing a long shot sports bet on a free bet that you have from a sports book. Um, that's the sort of thing. I was part of some teams that we took out millions of dollars from casinos and they never knew what we were doing, how we were doing it. Um, and they never will. Cause I'm not going <laughs> to, we've all agreed <laughs> not to give out specifics of how that all worked, but that's the sort of thing you, when you have a casino and they, and there's so much money flying around, it's tough. It's a tough surface area for them to defend upon every little thing they do. And especially when you go beyond, okay, just the games of it. What about then the marketing department? And we see this with sports books today, right? The marketing departments are going nuts. And, and if you were running a sports book and your marketing department is giving away millions of dollars, you're like, well, we're a low, a low house edge here. We can't possibly make back millions of dollars right away. And they're like, oh, don't worry about it. We're going to make it back, you know, 10 years from now. We, we don't need to be profitable right now. Um, casinos sort of operate in a lot of that loosey goosey way. And you can always find inefficiencies in a casino, much like you can always find inefficiencies in a sports book. It's a lot of the same mentality that carries over. So yeah, I, you know, I have had, I have tons of great stories about things we've done in casinos uh, in times past. Many of them I'll, I'll probably never share maybe someday. I don't know. But, um, the, the, the takeaway is everything in a casino can be beaten under the right circumstance. It, it brings to mind for me the story from, I actually don't even know how many years ago it was now, but the whole Phil Ivey situation where he was actually providing his own cards to the casino and got them approved. And they were obviously marked cards. So he had someone sitting with him at a table who was basically informing him 
whether he was playing back right, I believe. But um, yeah, I mean, like I'm all for finding edges in any oh, situation. Wait. But go so ahead, did, Rob. I, I, I'm sorry. I just have to correct there because well, on the story, you, let's you yeah, yeah, go for say it. Say that there would be any kind of cheating going on. Uh, Phil Ivey did not supply those on cards. Oh, right. They were supplied by the manufacturer Jamako to Borgata. The thing about them was they were imperfectly cut, mm. uh, and so you could lo- you could look at the card and you could see well one side of the the edge of the card had a thicker circle and the other side because of where they were cut had a thinner circle and so he would make sure they turned the eights and nines in baccarat one direction so that when he saw when the person looked down and saw a thicker circle they could say oh that's an eight or a nine and they'd know they'd have a winner or they could bet on the dealer or the player um so that that's just how it, it all worked um, but the funny thing about that is, so they used two different types of cards. They used a purple card and a yellow card. Well, the yellow ones, you couldn't see. The contrast isn't high enough. Right. So he would request they only use the purple cards. And that was the request he made. The Borgata is like, yeah, sure. If you think purple cards are lucky, Phil, we'll <laughs> say, yeah, no problem. <laughs> so um, he, correct me so, if I'm yeah, wrong, but he, he ended to, up not sorry, getting paid out for that, that right? He lost, he lost that lawsuit or, or, or the Borgata went after him and he was, uh, had to pay well, back the money, I believe. What happened? It ultimately settled, and we don't know the exact terms of the settlement. He lost the lawsuit in Europe at Crockford's in the UK, okay. um, where the, you know they awarded. And the reasoning for that was they said, well, casino games are not meant to be beaten. So if you were winning, therefore, you must be cheating, which is a ridiculous thing for a, a court to establish. But European courts, I have no idea what they're doing. In the US, it was a much, a much closer fight. And I think after all of this time, Borgata pretty much said, all right, look, enough is enough. Let's find a way to settle this so it doesn't keep hanging over our heads. And um, so I don't know exactly how it was settled, but uh, he doesn't seem too much worse for wear. So the thing that I w- I'll say is, uh, first off, for everyone listening, I tried to, to get some casino edges out of him, unfortunately. Uh, respect. You got to take someone to the grave, and it, probably similar to this Phil Ivey thing, maybe like you know, speaking about that edge comes back to haunt you, right? Because then... Um, you know, it's, it's out there and then now you might have a case or something like that. So you got to keep that under wraps hundred percent. Uh, I will say one thing that people, um, have asked me about casino wedges that I really haven't been able to answer much, um, is on kind of what they are. But one thing I always do say is if you can find a casino edge, typically that's going to be more of a hidden edge that the casino thinks that they still have covered. So you're going to be able to juice it for a lot more money than a sports betting edge. You know, if someone misprices a line or even is correctly, incorrectly mispricing a certain segment of the market, uh, you might be able to hit it for like a couple of weeks, depending on the outs you have and the amount you can get down. It's probably going to be a good earn, right? If you can hit a casino for that, it might be a lot bigger before um, you get booted out, even if it's just a day or two or a week. That's one thing I've always mentioned. Cap, would you agree with that? Uh, to, a, to a certain extent, Johnny. Uh you know, when you look at blackjack card counting, that's something you can't really scale that much higher. I think I, I think wasn't referring to card counting. I was more referring to like something like, for example, that edge uh, there. Or if you have something with like a slot machine defect where you, you're the only one who knows that and it kind of goes under the radar with the casinos or things like that. Sure. Because they they're likely making a lot of money in that. Right. Whereas if you see a sports book, if a trader is constantly getting hammered on like one segment of his book and then takes a look and is like, Oh, what's going on with my, uh, you know, NFL alternate lines or what's going on with the alt props here. They're going to see, Oh, we, we we're been pricing these too high. And then, you know, might be a day, might be a week, might be a month, but they're going to just fix it back down. And the amount you can juice in a week or a month from a sports book is, is likely a lot less than, um, 
a casino or a chain of casinos. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, on the whole, I totally agree with that. Um, of course, nuances do exist. So, you know, I've seen sports books make the same mistake for, well, they're still making it. And I've seen casinos also make mistakes that they just never seem to want to correct. So anything goes really. Right. Okay. Let's move on into sports betting. So now uh, almost a decade for you as a pro gambler, uh, I'm curious what your day-to-day looks like from a sports betting perspective. How do you divide your time now between betting, uh, between unabated, which we'll, we'll get into as well, and just living your, your daily life? Basically, give us a, a day in the life of Captain Jack right now. <laughs> well, you know, you, you guys have talked about it before, but work-life balance when you're in this business is, is really tough. So I am not a winner at life when it comes to work-life balance, but... Uh, lately it's been a lot of unabated work because getting it off the ground, it requires pretty much 24 seven focus to, you know, to get a startup going and, and keep it going and, and keep it, you know, on an upward slope. Uh, back when I was betting full time as my only work, uh, I would, I would wake up around 9am and that would be the time that I know a lot of the sports folks are starting to move. Uh, both on the East Coast as well as around the world. Um, I, I never really worked on overnight lines and things like that. The limits were too small and the impact was too damaging. And uh, so, yeah, 9 a.m. to roughly 11, I'm probably putting in any plays that I originate on. So anything where I don't have to work, I don't have to rely on news or other information or market movement to to trigger my play. And then, uh, you know, from that point on, it was uh, probably a lot of Twitter and uh, <laughs> and farting around. You know, it, it just wasn't. Uh, it's 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 probably not the most efficient lifestyle when you're a sports better. There's a lot of time when you could have been do- doing something better with your time, uh, and that was the sort of thing. <clears throat> one more dichotomy between casino AP and sports AP. Casino AP is a lot more bang for your buck in terms of the time you need to invest in it and the time you need to do the work. Uh, sports betting is a lot of work for less actual gain or, um, you know, for, for profit per hour, I guess you could say. So, um, but yeah, and then I, you know, I, I'm married, I have uh, two kids through marriage. Um, they're both in college now. So uh, that's a little bit easier, although far more expensive. <laughs> And uh, so, yeah, you know, raising a family that way and, and being around and, you know, you know, what's daddy doing in his office all day long and cursing at the screen. Um, but for the most part, uh, you know, I've, I've tried to keep that balance and have been successful times. If uh, if one of your uh, your kids wanted to get or both wanted to get into sports betting, what would you say? No, don't do it. Don't do it. We've had that. We've actually had that talk. Um, I I just it's, it's not something that's just easily to get into. You have to have the personality to get into it. You have to have the, you got to be kind of eased into it. It's not a career choice you, you want to make in my opinion. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, obviously this is just a matter of personal preference and everyone has is entitled to their opinion. I remember we talked to Spanky and it was the polar opposite for him where he was like, you know, I, I kind of want to leave my business to, to my kids and I think that they can handle it. And part of the reason that he fights the fight against uh, the sports books limiting people is because he wants to pave a way for his his children to inherit his business at some point. So um, I'm kind of where you stand. I don't have kids, but if if I did, I would tell them just find something that makes you happy. If it is sports betting, then then fine. 
but um, it's it's a tough way to earn a living right now. Um, well, not necessarily tough, but it's that it's a grind, as you put it, uh, oh. Jack, for sure. Um, Guys, every job's a grind. Well, for sure, yes, but I mean, uh, yes and no. If you're smart enough to make a living at sports betting, you're smart enough to make a living at a lot of things that are far less roller coaster. Um, and so, look, you know, my son, he's a mechanical engineer, smart kid. Uh, I hope that he can find a great job somewhere and, you know, do what he loves and, and, and be fine with it. Makes sense. Um, have you noticed a major change in your betting patterns, your day-to-day since regulation uh, started happening in the U.S.? Because obviously, probably three years ago and further on than that, you operated a certain way. And now we have all these legal operators that rushed into market to obviously be uh, first adopters and, and get early action. And we get all these bonuses driven in market right now. Have your day-to-day betting patterns significantly changed over the last few years? Well, and, you, and you've been in Jersey for a while, obviously. Right. So you, you got the whole, I guess, the, the current best state in terms of number of operators. Yeah, uh, Colorado has technically more, but I think New Jersey has sort of like this betting culture that has permeated through to the market and has, makes the market so viable in this state. Uh, yeah, it has changed, Rob. And I was not prepared for what it was going to be like. I thought it was going to be an extension of Vegas. I thought, you know, there's there's going to be four or five big operators and everyone else is going to try and fail. Um, I didn't think it would be this this many operators, this competitive. I didn't realize there would be this large buffet of bets available to make. Um, and that was a pleasant surprise. I remember DraftKings started in New Jersey, August 1st, 2018. I was on it the first night. And I remember poking around and seeing, oh, I can bet MLB first innings and second innings and third innings and fourth innings. And I was like, I can beat those. I had been beating those on bet online and they had gotten to the point they wouldn't take my bets on, on inning derivatives. And, uh, and I was like, this will be, this is like, you know, shooting fish in a barrel. Cause uh, my understanding of the New Jersey laws was they could not ban you for skill-based games. So uh, I should be able to win at will in New Jersey. And it took until like August 24th or so. And I started getting bets rejected and I'm like, wait, what? And I, there was no talk of getting limited. That was, that was not even in the lexicon in terms of sports betting regulated in the United States. I didn't know it was even a possibility. And suddenly I can't bet more than like this ridiculous, like $12 and 62 cents on these inning derivatives. And, and I remember just that feeling of like, well, crap, I'm done. I'm done at DraftKings. And like, that's one of the few books in the entire state. Like, what am I going to do now? And, um, yeah, it, so it, it really looked to me early that there was going to need to be a sense of art that needed to be developed for betting at these regulated books. And it was the same sort of thing that I've been doing in Casino AP for a long time. There's the science of advantage play, and then there's the art of advantage play. And the art is getting the money down. And I was going to need to extend that through sports betting as well. And, uh, and, you know, that kind of started that whole ball rolling that ended up in me kind of putting out some content later is that I needed to kind of work through the ways to overcome the system that was in place that I would later learn is very permeating. It's this, you know, soft book model, this European model. Uh, and, you know, everyone from Europe was like, yeah, we've been dealing with that for decades. You know, you can't get past it. Um, and I just wasn't willing to, to accept that. I was 
I was, I wanted to go about sports betting and saying, this is my ticket. I've been waiting all these years. I'm going to find a way to beat this system. Um, and you know, in some ways I have, but in other ways I'm still, still trying. Yeah. You the man. I love that. The, like, the game the within the I, game, right? Yeah. It's the best. It's yeah. the best part of the whole thing, obviously. And, um, yeah, I mean, if you, it, it is frustrating, obviously, and we don't really have um, the DraftKings and FanDuel here yet in Canada. But obviously, the whole model of like, you know, oh, if you do get good enough to beat it, then you'll be limited. It sucks for the consumer, but um, you know, there's other ways, like you mentioned, like you know, if you're taking money from a casino and winning, they're going to also tell you to stop playing. So you might have to figure out a way to stay under the radar and things like that. And as you mentioned, like the art is uh, probably just as fun as the science. And we've heard. Spanky, when he came on this podcast, he said that winning at this point for him is just trivial and it's just about getting the money down now. I wouldn't say that's 100% um, true for, for us at least or for, for you know other betters in the space. Like It's not super easy. You can print as much money as you want and just about getting down uh, for a lot of people. But you know it's a big mix between both. And uh, I think you've done a couple of videos on this on your, on your YouTube channel, which I quite enjoyed as well. Yeah, I definitely, I like to talk about it. And I think it's an evergreen topic, but makes good, good video as well. And uh, I like to do evergreen topics. So yeah, it's, it's all part of the process, right? It's all part of the process. That's a, that's a, a good way to put it. Um, you're the first guy, Jack, that I recall doing the, uh, we call it me and Johnny, the OG YouTube content. Um, we had thought about it for a while. I had at least on a personal level. And then you came along and you're, you're producing YouTube content. I found it very, uh, very informative, very educational. I will get into that because I think there's pros and cons to that. But what made you ultimately decide to leap into that content realm? And I guess what was the end goal for you when you started producing content? Well, also, Rob, we say the OG content, but obviously YouTube's been around for a while. For I sure. think Captain Jack just started posting his videos at the beginning of, uh, of 2020, I believe, around there, or maybe mid-2020. But what I will say is I think when we call them like more of the OG for gambling YouTube content, it's not necessarily like content that there's no there's been no gambling content on on youtube it's more this is the first person who's actually done like decent uh you know well-produced educational style content like not not just like a gambling show that says hey cowboys minus seven here's the spread or talk about a bunch of nonsense it's been more like you know i would almost call them like educational vlogs like vlog style where it's you talking couple graphics come on you might have a slideshow that goes through and um you know, for those who don't know, his we'll pl- plug your channel right at the off the top, but uh, definitely we'll link it in the show notes. Like a lot of great stuff there. Yeah, if you if you go to YouTube slash Captain Jack Andrews, all one word. I didn't use Captain Jack two thousand there. Uh, <laughs> Captain Jack Andrews, or search for that. You'll find these videos. Um, yeah. So the idea for YouTube and and doing content on YouTube actually started back in like two thousand eighteen, right around that same time that I got limited by DraftKings. I I was like, you know, I need to find a way. To, so I started to post about it on Twitter. I was getting a lot more Twitter followers. Um, you know, when, when legalization hit, I only had 50 followers on, on Twitter. I was known entity in the AP community of, of casino gambling, but I was not really known on gambling Twitter. I, w- I had been on Twitter for a decade, but I had never posted. Uh, and so I, I started to get more involved in Twitter. People started to follow me. I knew David Purdom and I think he retweeted some of my stuff, which that was a huge boost. Uh, but that idea was there to start in with the, the YouTube content. 
And my idea was I wanted to do some online courses of kind of explain to people how sports betting works and the basics and the ABCs. Uh, but the e-learning sites that are out there do not allow gambling content in any shape or form, even if it's regulated legal gambling. What do you mean by e-learning so sites? I, like uh, Udemy and um, uh, I forget what some of the other ones are called. Uh, but these are these are Coursera. These yeah. are sites where you can sign up and pay, pay either a flat rate or pay per class and take a class on learning how to. Got it. Like graphic design or stuff like that. You can, yeah, learn, yeah. you can do all kinds of things. You can, it's, it's video editing, basically. stuff like that. Yeah. Right. Uh, so then I was like, okay, I can't do these e-learning sites. I'll, you know, I'll try to do that on YouTube. And I bought a, I bought a nice camera and some stuff and I never got around to it. And I remember talking to people in 2019, like, oh, this year, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do all And they're like, oh, that's a great idea. Yes, you should definitely do that. And I never got around to it. And then the pandemic hit. And so then I said, all right, I got nothing to do right now. Uh, let me just do a webcam, turn on my webcam, put it up on YouTube and give it a shot. And I put together a PowerPoint presentation and did the first one. And it was well-received. And I did weekly for three or four months there. Uh, and then I started to do recorded things because I could do some more editing to it. I didn't, I didn't have to worry about tech issues because I was having a tech issue every single week. Um, so, you know, it, it, it evolved. Now, what was my end game from that in the beginning? I probably at the very beginning thought it was a way to make money. And not until I did it do I realize how little money is in it in YouTube. Because uh, you hear about all these success stories, these people that have, you know, millions of subscribers and millions of views and they're making six figures a month from YouTube ad revenue. Uh, no, it doesn't work like that. It's, it's much, much less. I think most months I was averaging about $20. Um, and then, you know, I had, I had one breakthrough video uh, with Dink that now is up to like a quarter million views. And I think I've made like $500 off of that video, uh, which when you consider the amount of time it takes to create a video, currently my rate is about for every 30 seconds of video, it takes me about one hour of production time, post-production, editing, all that. So if I'm doing a 15-minute video, I've put in at least 30 hours into creating that. So to get paid $20 hour, twenty for 30 hours of work, you know, it's yeah. ridiculous. Have I'm, you considered working kind of with like a, a video editor or anything like that? Sure, sure. I've, I've considered it, but I also... I'm a bit of a perfectionist. I need it to all be my voice, my tone, my editing, my, like it, what I put up there is very thought out. I, I don't just, you know, throw an iPhone video up there unedited. I, I make sure it, it's all worded perfectly. I use a teleprompter that I built uh, to, so that I can kind of look directly in the camera and still say the words that I want to say with the exact phrasing that I want. Um, I probably put too much work into it, you know, because I, the phrase perfect is the enemy of good really applies to the stuff that I'm doing because for a lot of betters, they would like just the good enough stuff. They would like for me to just turn on the camera, say what I want to say, turn off the camera, but no, I got to do all this extra stuff. Um, so I make it harder on myself, but yeah. So the end game, I, I still don't know what the end game is with the, the video content, obviously, you know, we've, we've formed unabated. We're using that as a company now. We, we have big plans for that. My video content is part of that. Um, but I still I still have my channel and uh, it still gets, you know, plenty of views on YouTube. Yep. I think we can totally understand where you're coming from in terms of all the content that you produce is a reflection of yourself. 
So, you know, you can outsource that stuff, but if it doesn't really fit exactly what you're doing or you feel like the quality is poor, I completely understand where you're coming from in order, in terms of wanting to control uh, everything related to that. Now that Dink heard you made $500 though on that, he's probably going to ask you for a royalty or something going forward. I did, I did donate to the Santa Barbara horse rescue. There you go. Um, and I uh, gave him a pretty healthy donation. So, uh, but yeah, no, I, you know, let me talk about that Dink video for a second. Wait, hold up. I got one is... comment on the Dink video. Sorry to cut you off, Captain Jack. So okay. you got how many views right now? 250K, you said? Yeah, about. Yeah. So that, that would be at least 2.5 mil if, if there was per- perfect audio quality in that one. And for anyone who's listened to that one, I think you're going to know, you're going you're gonna to laugh and know what I'm saying. Like, Dink, we love him. We, I lo- he's we, listening to this for I, sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I met him at, uh, over in, um, in Jersey. And, uh, you know, we'll hope to hope to have him on the pod, um, you know, soon, but man, every time he does a video, there's always Wi-Fi connections with this thing. <laughs> and then that video, he was getting right into it and you guys had to disconnect a couple of times. It was going, and then I still saw it took off. So if that one had better quality, I think you might even blew it up even further. Cause I would imagine that that, uh, damages the YouTube algo. Well, you're, you're exactly right, Johnny. And that's what I was going to bring up is I created that video with Dink and we recorded a Zoom call, and the call was about an hour and 45 minutes, and I cut that down to, I think that video is like 30 to 40 minutes long, uh, because there was a lot of times where the quality just wasn't good enough, and it took me months to edit that, because I just didn't like the final product, especially since everything that we talked about, I had already made a video about before. I had done, you know, webcasts and things like that, that were all about building a bankroll without actual, you know, needing to use computers and models. The reason that took off was the YouTube algorithm. And what it was is my thumbnail for that video is, is a picture of Dink. And Dink is a very unique looking gentleman. <laughs> and it said, you know, legendary gambler gives his thoughts in the, in, the, in the thumbnail. And then the title of the video was something like how to win at sports betting without computers or models. It's one of those things. It's going to grab the SEO value, the search engine optimization people searching how to win at sports betting because the YouTube audience is going to search for things that they think bingo that they need to know. It's the same with us with, um, I mean, circles off. We have our own, um, episode titles on Spotify, but when we post this to YouTube, it's a little bit more clickbaity of a title because there's certain search results that people are going to constantly be looking for. And listen, I I got, I got this one. I got this one's title. You want to hear it? Go for it legendary casino better takes millions without casinos knowing what a clickbait yeah, title take off <laughs> and then and then they're going to be so disappointed to just hear that one the one sentence and no explanation on that let's be, yeah note note that down zach we'll put it but sorry i cut you off rob you were going to say something with the youtube stuff no i i actually even cut captain jack off there but i, I captain jack off that's the first time it came up on this one, I was not meaning to do that. that off? <laughs> I didn't. It was not intentional. Not intentional. But uh, continue on. I, I I wanted to get into a little bit about the the Dink video specifically because um, you've been producing content now on YouTube for more than a year and a half, roughly. And there's obviously some things that you have found that have worked, which specifically Dink, probably the clickbaity title, the imaging associated with it. I like. Everybody that I know has watched that video. I, even, even friends of mine that I wouldn't even think they would be interested in that, they've watched it uh, and we've talked about it. What are some of the things that you found so far when you're producing content have not worked for you? Yeah, uh, you know, and the, 
the reason that worked is that algorithm. I, there are plenty of people have said to me, well, I finally watched that video because YouTube wouldn't stop recommending right. it to me. And when I look at my analytics, that's how I get most of my views is YouTube recommending my stuff, not Twitter traffic coming in, not people subscribing to my channel. Uh, so yeah, the stuff that works is largely the stuff that is unfortunately a bit clickbaity. And that's the flaw of YouTube is that it rewards clickbait. And I try not to play that game, but you kind of have to if you want your, to get a following. Now, once you get a large following, you can dial down the clickbait because people are going to keep coming back because they've watched so many of your videos. They're going to be referred to them just based on their, their search history and their, their watch history. Uh, so some of the things that haven't worked, look, I got a great video out there about taxes and gambling. And you guys as Canadians probably don't care too much about it. But for the U.S. player, taxes are a huge part of gambling. And especially if you've been any bit near successful or you've made a profit, uh, the U.S. tax structure towards gambling is really poor. But there are some ways that you can go about it to be more efficient. And I've got a great video out there. It's like 45 minutes. It's one of the earlier ones that I did. And it still only has like 3,000 views. And the value of that video to some is betting anywhere near professionally or or is, is profitable, is immense. It, it's, it's probably saving you thousands of dollars off of your taxes every year. Um, but it just hasn't taken off because it sounds like a really dry title. And it's like tax and retirement strategies for gamblers. You know, nobody cares about that. Um, and some of the other things that I've done just don't seem to get that traction. But, you know, I've learned and I've learned, okay, you need to have a face in your thumbnail because the YouTube algorithm actually looks at your thumbnail and says people believe things that have a face attached to it. So therefore thumbnails that have faces rate higher. Um, tagging the, the meta tags that you put on videos are very important because that's sort of like the search phrases, the keywords that people are going to be searching for. I see a lot of content out there from other content providers on YouTube that just don't understand that. You know, there's, there's one that I'm sure we've all seen who they put out eight videos a day about one single topic about their website, just constantly drilling it over and over again. And they're cannibalizing themselves. They're literally cannibalizing themselves because YouTube's like, stop spamming the world with arbitrage betting. Mm -hmm. So therefore they, they get downvoted in the YouTube algorithm and they don't even know it. And I'm not going to tell them and hopefully they're not listening. Um, but you know, it, people just don't understand a lot of what goes into the art of content creation. Agreed. So much more than just the content itself. Um, there, there's so many things and different avenues that you can take. It's funny uh, that you mentioned the taxes one because uh, we have a social team that runs our BetStamp Twitter accounts uh, and all our social accounts. I get probably a message from one of our social guys at least every day, if not every other day, of we got a DM from somebody asking about taxes related to gambling. What do you want me to do? How do I answer this? And now I'll actually just send them to your video link every yeah, single I, time. I, I've got three today already <laughs> and I, I average a few a day and it, this is the time of year when everyone's doing their taxes and they're like oh shit i made this money on DraftKings. are they gonna report me or you know they have all these same questions yeah i would prefer if they watch the video first and then then ask their questions it's, what's the title of that video uh tax and retirement strategies for gamblers okay the, i'm gonna the, make my the driest title i'm gonna make the, my own it's the gonna thumbnail be... is just a, a PowerPoint slot. It's, not, it's 
poor. Okay, so I'm going to make a video just just going to be retirement strategies for gamblers, and then it's just going to be a couple of big bomb bangers. We're going to put, <laughs> we're just going to put a couple a 17 parlay retirement <laughs> strategies from gamblers for go. gamblers. That like that'll get the people going. That's a clickbait one that might work out. Um, but yes, we will definitely link that video, Zach, in the description uh, for sure on the retirement one. Again, like we said, like some of the content, like you're right, man, that's that's super valuable. That's going to save you more money uh, probably watching that video and then structuring your taxes correctly. It's going to save you way more money than some video on a different edge or even learning about something else. But uh, it's obviously not as glorious and the money doesn't maybe come in instantly today. So, uh, you know, it com- goes to the bottom of the list. But yeah, I think there's there's value in that for sure. And again, even though I'm from Canada, I have seen that video and thought it was uh, very well produced and very well made. Like when Captain Jack said, I was thinking of that video when you said you quit your job, uh, obviously with the IT company. And then you said something like, yeah, and I looked up the the tax strategies and everything. And I was like, knowing you guys will see when you go to his YouTube channel, but knowing how meticulous the videos are, I could imagine that it wasn't like an overnight decision to quit the job. You, you definitely mapped that out for a couple of years. It was like, okay, I can, if I can get to this. And then this, and then this, and then even mentioning the, the healthcare stuff. You're like, all right, this is it. Now I'm finally covered where I can go. He's a very calculated guy. The number one piece of advice I can give to anyone who is thinking about going pro is the only way you know is when you have no other reason not to do it. And that's how I knew. I finally ran out of reasons not to do it. And that's when I took the leap. Um going to stick on the content subject for a second here, but take it to the other side of things because people who are critical of you and we're obviously everybody gets some sort of negative criticism in this space. That's just the reality of the situation. If you have a big social following, you know, you're going to hear about there's going to be some negativity in some capacity. But when you were first producing the YouTube content, the main criticism um, is from people is, if this stuff is really valuable, then why is he not keeping it to himself? Why is he bringing it to a larger audience? Uh, I guess the same would be said for unabated. When you guys first launched, or you you said you guys were going into a beta, the big before even people saw the product, right? It was well, you know, how do you navigate the line between providing useful content and utility and affecting your own personal ability to make money? If you guys are putting tools out there, well aren't the sports books able to see this? Aren't they, you know, do you just lose your edge? So I'm just curious on your thoughts on that because uh, a lot of people are, you know, would call you a fraud. Obviously I don't believe that. I actually know that you are not, but that's a common criticism of, Oh, this guy's lost his edge. He's just producing content. Now, how do you respond to something like that? Yeah. Uh, look, I go back to card counting. Do you know how many books are out there about card counting? There's hundreds, if not thousands of books. Blackjack is still offered in every single casino and it's still offered at a house edge of like half a percent. It's like a game that's insanely beatable. And yet there's all of these books and videos and courses you can take to learn to beat it, but it's still offered. And why is it still offered is because casinos still make money with it. And no matter what I do in putting out my content, casinos are still good. Sports books are still going to make money from sports betting. You only need to listen to anytime Spanky puts up a Twitter spaces where it's the open mic, the people that talk, like it makes you realize the vast majority of betters just don't have a clue and don't want to have a clue. They don't want to know what they don't know. 
And there's, that's always going to be the majority, right? We know that only about 2% of sports bettors win long-term. And what I'm teaching in my educational content is not so much how to win, it's how to lose less. It's how to think in terms of being a sharp better. I, I'm very careful with the content that I craft, that I'm not just giving away the answers. Uh, I, first of all, I always want it to be evergreen. Secondly, I want it to be kind of thought-provoking and, you know, read between the lines. Uh, I had a video recently about exploiting a FanDuel mistake that I had found at the beginning of the NFL season. And in it, I didn't really give away anything that was still a viable angle because FanDuel had corrected. Now, I'll tell you guys, I made one fatal flaw when it came to that angle is I told Rufus. Oh. And Rufus started betting it. And, you know, they look and see why is Rufus betting this? And they automatically realize they must have a problem. Like that was, that was a mistake on my part. I shouldn't have told Rufus. I should have just kept it to myself and kind of practiced the art of getting down. And it might've lasted longer. Um, but I, when I teach something, I'm often teaching things that are more esoteric, more of a life skill rather than they be, you know, here's how to beat this. Now, unabated on the other hand and you know you guys did some episodes about it too it was it was funny when we hadn't announced anything we were doing yet people were automatically saying they hated the product because they knew exactly what we we're going to be doing um and they didn't know uh and, and that's fine people can hate or like or whatever they want to do the tools that we're creating on unabated are largely providing the the resources to answer questions that the user brings so in other words you need to know what to ask. You need to bring your own power ratings, or you need to know uh, how to look at lines and, and take the market line and find derivative pricing and, and things like that. They're not things like we're, we're not putting up an arbitrage screen. We're saying, look, here's you know, this price, grab it real fast. That does make things disappear quickly. But if you can offer things in a way where the user has to engage and learn and go through the process, you then create something that is both a valuable tool as well as a sustainable tool. And I think a lot of the things that we do on Unabated are things that are going to be sustainable for a while. Now, will they be as profitable as they were when we first launched? Uh, probably not, because I'm sure there's a lot of sports books that also subscribe to Unabated and check our product out. I've, I saw that when I was in Vegas. I, I, you know, I cashed some tickets late at night at Circa, and the guy's like, oh, man we play with your product all day long. We just love it. We just run through all these scenarios and see, and they don't even offer alt lines. So, you know, we're definitely making some, some sports folks sharper. Um, but the point is like, I, I think there's a lot of meat on the bone out there for everyone. And a lot of these square betters that don't want to learn any more about the, about how it all works are just adding more meat to the bone for us all. So am I, Am I limiting the edge down for everyone involved? I, I don't think so. Uh, I, I think we've got a, a very inefficient market for years to come. So did you guys give out any real edges when the product launched? Like anything that you think would have been exploited right away, could have printed money off of at any of the legal books, regulated books? I, I definitely think some of our alternate pricing yeah. was uh, those numbers hadn't been out there yet. And there were a lot fatter edges at the start. Um, we, you know, we even saw it when we have like launch party and things like that. And I would do some live betting, but you can still find five to 10% edges on alt lines every single day. Uh, we just actually launched the NHL period derivatives. 
Nice. So, I mean, that might be interest to you guys. Uh, you know, these are things that up to now, no one's really offered a calculator on how to derive alternate lines for periods based on the game line and, uh, you know, home and way and things like that. So um, you were, we're constantly coming out with new tools, new things to find. Um, look, we could, I, I'll, I'll give you this example. We were planning to do a Super Bowl package and we were going to sell this Super Bowl package. And it would basically be, you enter the Super Bowl line and we'll print out all of the projections for props for the Super Bowl. Rufus obviously has this long history of just crushing the Super Bowl prop market. He was willing to basically create this tool that would put out all these projections and this would be very valuable. I, I think you guys, you know, nod your head. Like this is something that she would love to have. Um, but we kind of decided, well, if we sell this, we're basically going to be accused of selling Rufus's picks for the Super Bowl. And the last thing we want to do is people to think, Oh, this has been the plan for unabated all along. You're just trying to sell picks. Um, so we said, you know, this isn't a good first impression to people. Uh, we're not going to do that this year. We're going to do a ton of content around the Super Bowl. And if you watch the content, you're going to get a lot of Rufus's projections and you're going to get it for free. Um, we're not going to sell that. But that's an example of like, we want to make sure that how we're perceived is not just going out and, you know, selling picks or wrecking markets. Uh, we put a lot of thought and effort into doing this the, the right way and a, and a sustainable way. I completely get that. Um, it is kind of sad that we have to think about the politics of everything associated with our product just because of the space that we're in. Um, obviously, I ran a, uh, a pick service for a year in Prediction Machine, which I inherited from someone else, and I completely tried to revamp the site to get it away from actual picks and make it more of a uh, projections-based website with other utilities involved. Um, but it, 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 I, I remember, honestly, that, that was one full year of my life where... I spent more thinking about what other people in the space would think about me than the product itself uh, and designing a product that I think would have the most value to everyone out there, which actually might have been picks at that time, um, sadly, as, 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 as weird as that seems. But um, yeah, it's, it's just a, a weird space, Jack, in that um, I, I think part of it is because you're a very reputable person. Um, you have a, a public persona. So does Rufus. Um, so does Dan Fabrizio, who's your uh, another partner of yours, who's famously uh, founded Sports Insights as well. Um, but it is kind of sad that we have to think about these things on a day-to-day basis, how others are going to perceive us based off of what tools are available on our sites. Yeah, yeah, it, it is unfortunate. And, you know, look, a lot has been made of, of Rufus's stance towards both anti-tout as well as towards, uh, you know, his, his personal personal journeys and things like that. Um, I, you know, I can relate to what he's, what he's talking about. I have been anti-tout for the longest time. I still am anti-tout, but I understand that tout is a, is a spectrum of gray. And, uh, you know, one of the first articles I wrote was, should you pay for picks? Are there times when you should pay for picks? And the conclusion of that article was, yes, there are times when you can pay for picks and it's, it's beneficial information but you got to make sure they all line up with these things that you're trying to do as a sports better. And for the vast majority of sports betters, they'll never hit those points. They'll never be fast enough. They'll never be able to overcome the cost. They'll never be able to um, take the information you're learning about the market and, and apply it. Um, you know, that's one of the fascinating things about, about touts is how they move markets. 
And is that efficient movement? Because at some point it's not, you know, if, if Raz is saying take over 184 and a half and it, you know, the line steams up to like 188 and, you know, well, Raz didn't tell you to take over 188 and Raz would probably take the under on 188. So, you know, look, Spanky's been making a career out of that. Like you need to understand market movement when you're, uh, you know, paying for picks as well. So that's, that's neither here nor there. Well, I, th- I think when people say anti-tote, when they're like, oh, I'm anti-tote, they're just really like anti-scam or like anti-fraudulent stuff. Like they don't want people to get scammed. They don't want to get scammed. But the reality is most totes, yeah, you don't really truly understand what you're paying for. You're buying like a, a vision of success and a promise of success, and it's probably not going to happen. But to be anti-tote overall, I think I agree with you. It just it doesn't really make sense because if someone does understand what they're buying, um, they could get value out of it. And even the ones that are not value from a monetary perspective, sometimes offer like a community and just an entertainment value to be in uh, a community with a group of people that are betting on the same thing. And there's value in that as well. Now that's not value valuable to me. It's not valuable to Rob and it's definitely not valuable, valuable to you, Jack, but there are people who find value in that. So I think, um, I agree with what you said earlier in a sense that like you have to, it's a wide gray area. You have to kind of just decide for yourself what you want to buy. You can buy anything you want, you know? Some people find value in like a Rolex. Other people would be like, nah, I don't, I don't, why would I spend a couple, why would I spend tens of thousands on a watch, right? So it's completely different and everyone has value in different things. So, okay, uh, moving on. We had, so we had a bunch more questions uh, about unabated, but you did answer um, a couple of the stuff off the bat. Uh, One more that I wanted to ask was more just in regards to like, so the future of the product, you mentioned we didn't want to sell Rufus's Super Bowl picks or Super Bowl model, whatever it might be, because you didn't want to come off as like selling picks and being a pick selling site. Um, so to at this point, and I know things change rapidly in a business as we ha- as it does with us here at BetStamp as well. But at this point in time, what are you guys kind of mulling over in terms of like, how do you monetize this? It is a very niche market that we're both playing in, in terms of a sports betting community uh, and people who actually want sports betting information and stuff like that. So what streams have you looked at? We know there's affiliate. We know there's subscription model. We know there's other different ways where you can monetize any product via advertising and things like that. So if the pick sales is off the bat, is off the table, then what, what are you guys thinking of doing? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so we, we've always been, we, we've shied away from affiliate. I wouldn't say we're anti-affiliate because there are some companies, sports books that I would say, oh, I will gladly have an affiliate link to these guys, Circa, you know, is a, is a good example. One of the um, few that doesn't have an affiliate program, but. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Because they can't afford to have an affiliate program because they don't throw money around the way that the, these others do. Um, and here's the thing about affiliate programs. What we've seen in Europe is that in Europe, sportsbooks profile based on the affiliate link you come in from and you know that's a little bit of a, a bit of an art that i think we'll get into in the united states eventually if you're coming in from a a affiliate link of a of a line service a, a, a you know like a bet stamp where you know, sorry if i'm i'm, I'm not no, no no speak honestly it's fine yep i'm not trying to shit on your potential affiliate yep. income um but in europe if you come in from like a, a site like odds checker where you can see all the odds across the board they automatically say, okay, this guy's at least a little bit sharp because he knew enough to be on a line service, uh, you know, looking at, at various on the odd screen. So I think we're going to get into that in the United States very shortly here. I don't, I don't know of any that have applied that yet, but it's coming. 
and where you get you where you sign up with is going to be or where you link into the site from is going to be a, a key factor in determining your your risk tolerance profile right um so back to unabated though look we're gonna have to sign up we're gonna have to stand up a paywall eventually we have about 10 employees a couple of contractors uh you know a significant drain each month in keeping this product going we're gonna have to sign up for paywall and a paywall's coming um and i'm sure some detractors will immediately say oh you know i told you they were about the money um, yeah, it is. It is what it is. I mean, you know, we put a you're running a business. You're running a business, right? We're running a business. We're not running a charity. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah, a, a paywall is coming, and that's going to be basically our our revenue model. And uh, I, I have promise for it. I think. Look, I there are people that are using our tools, and they've told me they've made six figures just this NFL season using our tools. Um, and multiple people. It's not just like one guy that's like, you know, just bugging out on the screen all day long. Uh, you know, I, multiple people have come to me and I'm like, wow, this is, this is really great. Now, will that be sustainable? And everybody that signs up will make six figures? No, no, of course not. But we're going to have something that's for like a vast audience. So the, the way I kind of look at it is for the beginning better, we have content. We have uh, articles content. We have video content that I'll be doing, a lot of interactive content. We've got our Discord community. For the intermediate better, the aspirational sharp better, we have these tools that answer questions, these tools that probably they don't have the skill or the knowledge to build yet on them on their own. Um, various Monte Carlo simulations for prop betting for the NFL, um, these alt-line tools, which are you know pretty much kind of showing you what the price should be, and it's up to you to go find where that price is available or better. And then for the expert level better, we're going to have an odd screen. And we went back and forth about an odd screen for a long time. Uh, and it really what kind of forced our hand is just how poor Don Beth's efforts have been over the past year and a half. There's, there's, a, there's an area there which is, is just begging to be taken. And that is the real-time odd screen. Um, now, running a real-time odd screen is, is very difficult. You can't just run a scraper and get real-time odds. Uh, you need to basically create partnerships with sports books in order to have the real-time feed, the direct API, the, the push feed in a lot of cases where, you know, they change it on the back end and it changes on our odd screen at the same time it changes on their website. Um, and there's key books you need real-time for, obviously. The Market Makers, The Pinnacles, The Chris, Circa, I would say. Yeah. Um, and the one that I'm kind of proud of on, proud of that I don't think we've really revealed yet is we're going to have Deck Prism on our odd screen. Nice. Uh, the Deck Prism feed, the direct Deck Prism feed, the one they send to the sports books that they do trading for, um, both pregame as well as in-game. I, I, look, that that right there, if that should be <laughs> that should be worth the price of admission, I would think. Um, you know, because you can't find that anywhere else, and that is gold uh, when it comes to determining you know what the sharp line is so our odds feed is going to be largely about knowing the market makers in real time and we're going to have the other books out there too the DraftKings, the FanDuel's, the points bets bet mgm um, but they won't be we're not caring about real time that's going to be scraped data that's going to be data that you know obviously they don't want to partner with us anyway um, and that's going to be information that the user can still use and look and see and then we're going to integrate our trading tools into this odd screen so that 
you can find alt line value without leaving the odd screen. You can compare two lines, uh, you know, a, a plus six minus 110 and a uh, plus six and a half minus 125, which one's better. You can compare them right in the odd screen. That sort of thing, that's the value add. Um, and hopefully that's, that's gonna appeal to a lot of the expert level betters that need that real time data and combine them all together. And hopefully we have a, a pretty vast funnel that isn't too, too much of a niche product for, for the industry. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully it'll be a successful launch. So two questions follow up. First off, sounds like an awesome product. I think um, if it's a, a UI, UX, user interface, user experience improvement over Dawn Best and real time, then that definitely has a market in, in the space right now. Um, first would be, you know, what markets? I mean, I guess you, you could add everyone in, in due time, but is this going to be like, you know, every sport, every market, props, game props, stuff like that? Or is this more of a let's get the basics up? Yeah, well, the, fir the first iteration is going to be the basics, the major sports, uh, college, the major four, in, four major sports in the U.S., as well as college football and college basketball. Um, and we'll, we're going to be up any day now on our what we call our preview, our preview mode of this odd screen. Uh, unveil that to our, our Discord community when it's ready for users to start hammering. It's like 98% of the way there. We're just working out some minor tweaks and bugs we still have to, to iron out. Um, but yeah, we'll add other markets to it, and we plan to add the ability to drill down into what the alt spreads and alt totals are for each one of the uh, sports books on the screen. We'd like to offer props down the line. That's a little bit trickier because there's really no, there's not like a Don Best rotation number for no. props. There's, there's, it's really hard to find a source of truth that wouldn't end up giving multiple. And you guys, you guys know this. Yep. You guys yeah, go through the same pain points. It's really tough to kind of to iterate props through with a with a odd screen, um, but yeah, we we plan to add that sort of thing as well, and then iterate that or combine that with our um, our props tools that we've we've created so, on site as well. So my second question here is, uh, and again, feel you don't have to give out the info. I don't want to be this the great reveal of the the product and stuff like that. But um, obviously, Don Best quite expensive for those who don't know uh, the 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 pro they have a free ver they have a sorry. Um, a cheaper version that's a little bit delayed, which is essentially useless because you're getting a bad uh, user experience product and a delayed feed and you still pay for it. But the the main service they have is is worth it for a lot of people. It's $500 a month um, USD per account username. So you, you can't even share that with like your buddy and have like two sign-ins and stuff like that. So really per username, per login, it's $500 a month, which is quite expensive for anyone who's betting um pretty much anyone who's betting like 100 bucks a game 50 a game 10 a game you're not gonna have value in that so what i was gonna ask is did you guys discuss like what price points you'd be able to come in at what better because the right product could be worth two ten thousand a month to the right to the right person right it's not necessarily about the exact cost it's just about i guess finding a middle ground so have you guys thought about that at all yet i'm sure you have but are oh, you able sure. to say anything we've had a lot of yeah, we've had a lot of discussion. I, I don't want to, we haven't really finalized a price uh, specifically. I will say, look, I've paid $500 a month to Don Best for the last, I don't know how many years, and I regret it, but I don't regret it because mm -hmm. I've needed that service. I would not feel right putting out something at $500 a month. It's just, that's that's just too much. Um, because there are things that, else that Don Best does in terms of alerting, in terms of injury reporting, although they really suck at that now, um, in terms of 
uh, information about the game day experience and things like that. And these are all things that we have on our wish list as well. Um, but, you know, anymore, Twitter is a better source of injury information than Donbest can even be. Yeah, I don't think anyone's um, using Donbest injury info nowadays. I mean, maybe they might squeak one or two in, but uh, definitely yeah. that was better back in the day. Yeah. So, look, we our product won't be – look, our product's not going to be $20 a month. Um, you know, we're, we're not – uh, we're not like data golf, um, but we're we're planning to put out a product that's I feel is worth the amount and it's probably is worth more than the amount we're going to charge. Um, and you know, Rufus and I have kind of stuck to that from the very beginning that we we don't want to make this look like a money grab in any sense. We want to offer something to betters, and if we you know price it according to um, it, it's worth, it's only because we really feel like there's a huge benefit to, to betters to, to get this product. So, um, yeah, the, I don't, I don't want to say even what our suggestions are in terms of pricing per month. I don't think it'll be construed as outrageous for everything we get though. You can check out Captain Jack's site, unabated.com. Uh, I am a user. It's free to sign up right now as well. So I'd suggest anyone check it out. Uh, I personally find a lot of utility in it because one of the most common questions I get asked in real time when I'm doing video streams is, would you take this number or would you take that number? And you guys have a very easy uh, compare lines tool, which I use quite regularly. And I do love doing the simulations, future simulations, um, especially now that you guys have preloaded uh, a bunch of different um, options, whether that's in predictable market ratings or PFF ratings, ESPNs, FPI. So I really enjoyed it for football. I would highly recommend uh, that anyone check it out and I'm very excited to see the odd screen as well but I want to shift gears Jack because um, one thing that you are definitely known for on social you're highly opinionated you don't really care about sharing strong takes you are willing to go after sports books um, in some capacity you've been critical of them at times in most cases I agree with you let's say that Captain Jack is starting a sports book from scratch in the regulated market tomorrow. What are the biggest differences we would see between Captain Jack's book and most of the other operators in the space? Uh, that's, a, that's a really good question. And it's something I have put a lot of thought into in the past. Uh, and, you know, obviously I have some strong opinions and some strong takes. Look, the sports betting market in the U.S. right now, and the one that's probably going to be in Ontario shortly, is serving such a such a select segment of the audience that's out there, and it leaves other parts of the market underserved. And I'm not talking about sharp bettors. I'm just talking about people that don't want to just piss their money away quickly uh, are very underserved in the current sports betting environment. So if I were to create a sports book, uh, first of all, I wanted to be appealing to people that are at least aspirational about their betting. And uh, those people are, are usually price sensitive. So the first thing I would want to do is be at least price sensitive in how I price everything on the site. Um, the second thing, and that doesn't mean I'm doing minus 105 on everything. I'm just saying, you know, you can at least try to be up on the pricing in terms of everything you offer, whether it be derivative markets not being gouged or parlay pricing not being gouged. You know, if I were to do a same game parlay thing, you know, the average the average big on a lot of those is like 50% and higher uh, when you break it all down. So 
uh, there, there's room for improvement there. But then the next thing is I'd want to innovate outside of just this standard sides and totals that we've all been locked in for decades in sports betting. Uh, things like contests, pool betting, uh, Calcutta betting. You guys, you guys know you're both in the bet the process Calcutta. Sorry about that, Johnny. Um, but you, Calcuttas are exciting because you think you have the best of it. Everyone that exits a Calcutta draft thinks they have the best of it. And, and in terms of a sports book, being able to run a Calcutta product, it would be like running a DFS product where there's a rake involved. Uh, a very reasonable rake could be run and bettors could compete against each other in whatever the, the pool of the Calcutta was for. And I think they would all feel like they're getting the best of it and they're getting a lot of bang for their buck. And ultimately, that's sort of what's missing in today's sportsbook environment is that feeling of the user feels like they got the best of it and the customer feels like they got enough entertainment value. Because right now, a lot of these sportsbooks, they're just looking to, to gut as, as quick as possible. They just want to get the money as fast as possible. They're, they're pursuing double-digit hold percentages and things like that. Um, but there's so much more that could provide a sense of you got the best of it. And it, it doesn't mean you have to give products that don't have high edges. Like when you look at slot machines, right? Now, slot machines have a high edge, but there are components of slot machines that make you feel like you got the best of it. You get a bonus round and you know, well, in this bonus round, I'm going to make money. Well, what if you had like sports thing where you make bets and uh, you, know, you, you spin some kind of wheel and sort of like WinBet was trying, uh, where you get either a, a, a bonus amount added to your payout or you get a multiplier added to your payout. Uh, I think bettors would like that sort of thing to feel like, oh, this time I know I've definitely got the best of it on this wager that I just made. And that doesn't mean that you would have, um, you know, an exploitable edge either. It just means like this would be kind of baked into the total big. Um, I, I think loyalty re rewards are vastly underserved in sports betting markets. You know, one of the things a sharp sports betting book would do is they want higher and higher volume. Well, if you give higher and higher volume, they can charge less and less big because the one truism when it comes to gambling is the longer you gamble, the less likely you are to win in terms if you don't have an edge. So casinos bank on that. That's why they have tons and tons of slot machines. That's why they can deal blackjack, even though it's a low house edge game, because they're going to deal tons and tons of hands. And in the long run, they'll win. Sharp sports folks understand this. That's why Circa is always trying to push volume for their low edges, because they know the, the longer they get, they take the money, the more certain they are to win. Well, get back to loyalty rewards. The more volume you give a sports book, the lower your VIG should be. You know, everyone starts at minus 110, but if you hit the you know, platinum tier or silver tier or whatever, you get down to minus 109. And if you hit the, the next tier up, you're down to minus 108, minus 107. And that's going to encourage people to play more and more at your sports book because they want to keep getting to the point where the VIG gets lower and lower down. It's basic economics, folks, but a lot of these sports books just don't seem to want to innovate. They just want to copy what the next guy did. Oh, you guys got same game parlays? Okay, we, we got same game parlays. You guys got a bet boost? Okay, then we got a bet boost. You know, the, the amount of brain dead that's in the sports betting industry right now is, is kind of shuddering. And um, there's so much better it could be doing, but it's not. And if your follow-up question is, well, would you ever go work at a sports book? Absolutely not. I would never go work for a sports book. I, um, 
What's would you start? Would you line? start your own um, sports book? That that was going to be my follow up question. Is not would you work for yeah. one, but would you ever consider being your own, running your own operation? Unabated SB. Dot EU. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I, I go back to the, the Shakespeare line of, like, I come to bury Caesar, not to uh, praise him. Like, I, yeah. I would, you know. It, I get it. I don't, I don't know if I would ever cross that line. I, Rufus has said that he would like to run a sports book someday. But then he's also said he wants to run sports teams and things like that. Um, <laughs> just ready to I, I would, I would so personally much. love to run a sports book. And I would, I would implement – obviously, you've thought about this a lot. I could tell by your answer. But the ideas are genuinely good, and I think there's a lot of overlap between how we think sportsbooks should be run. I love the uniqueness of the sportsbook that you would have in terms of the variety of games. I love the idea of auctions, all sorts of alternative ways to bet. And right now, you look at the space, it's just same-game parlays are emerging as the thing right now because they're a new version of, of, of how you can bet on something. Now, people don't understand the hold associated with that, as, as you've outlined, but it's new. It's unique. People haven't been able to do it before. Everyone's gravitating to it. And I think there's so much more room for creativity in this space with things like that. And you're seeing sportsbooks rewarded for that with the amount of handle that they're doing and the hold that they're doing on those things. Um, so I think that that's a great idea. Um, yeah, I, 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 I echo pretty much everything you said. And I, it is kind of a dream of mine to one day be able to put that into action now, a lot of people obviously don't know the startup costs associated with running a sports book with the amount uh, that you need to be able to uh, handle the liability, but handle customer service, marketing, uh, operations, e-com, whatever. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that that's probably the most well thought out answer of anyone I've ever asked in terms of, well, because everyone's very critical, right? Oh, the sports book shouldn't limit. They shouldn't be doing this. They shouldn't be doing that, but they don't offer up alternatives. That's where I find it a, a challenge in this space. It's like, okay, what would you do in that situation? And we just don't, like, we don't hear that a lot. We hear all the criticisms, but not necessarily what someone would do um, if they were on the other side of the counter. Yeah, and here's the thing. A lot of the reason these sports books limit people is because they have to, because they just don't know enough about what they're doing. They Look, they're paying traders $25,000, $30,000 a year fresh out of college. These people think it's the dream job. Um, and then they get their student loan bills start to come in and they realize, oh, wait, no, I got to go do an engineering job or I got to go do some math sensitive job somewhere. I can't be a sports book trader at this salary for life. And there's a high turnover. Whereas people like Circa hire the best of the best to do their trading so they can, you know, take a bet, move the number, that sort of thing. We just have a dearth of trading talent in the u.s bookmaking talent i'm not going to use the word trading bookmaking yeah, right. talent in the u.s right now um and they get they got to overcome that they, they got to find a way to overcome that because people like DraftKings and FanDuel and and the like they can afford to be taking on all the action and they wouldn't get guys like me always bitching about them because they can afford to take this action and move the number and become sharper and still get all of that square money in fact they'd get more square money because they're, they're getting that brand recognition to start. So in other words, you know, one of the reasons I always complain about it is because it doesn't even need to be happening. If, if we were all small little sports books, yeah, they couldn't afford to take on sharp bettors. But these are monoliths that are, that are spending $180,000 a day on marketing costs. They can afford to uh, book the sharp action and figure out how to benefit from it. Yeah, I mean, I'm, 
I, I, I complain as much as the other guy about it. Like, obviously wish, I mean, I don't even complain about it. I wish it didn't happen with the limiting, but we also got to realize, like, we live in a small community on uh, uh, sports betting Twitter here or wherever we are, and, like, the majority of sports bettors don't even really know that people get limited, right? And obviously it doesn't help when you have, like, people at, like, CEOs and stuff saying that you don't limit it, and I know this one, the, the DraftKings one recently saying that was maybe a little bit of an eye-opener to some people, but most people don't know that the sports book can actually just cut your limits, right? They're, they've never heard of that. They never will experience it. And so it's not a main issue. So if I were running DraftKings or FanDuel, I honestly probably would do the same thing. I wouldn't really care too much about that. There, someone reached out to me like uh, yesterday, and they were like, "Oh, I found a incredible edge on the same game parlay at the um, at one of the games uh, at the Rams game for for this Rams Cardinals playoff game." They're like, "You could you could put in the same game parlay, Matt Stafford over half a touchdown." One and a half touchdowns, two and a half touchdowns, and three and a half touchdowns. And if he gets four touchdowns, they all win. And I was like, what was the payout? And it was just the, the same payout, obviously, as the o, o three and a half, because they they assign they assume the correlation and they right. you can't bet like Cooper Cup first touchdown and parlay that with Cooper Cup anytime touchdown, because if he gets the first, he gets the anytime. So they just give you the odds of the first, right? But that person had had been obviously betting that. And not knowing that, like, he didn't even look at the payout and saying he's only really getting like plus three twenty five for that. And if you you if you're obviously parlaying four things, that should have been like you know that's a it's a big bomb banger. <laughs> but uh, anyways, uh, we just wanted to like so things like that. It's just like you know DraftKings and FanDuel they run the same game parlay product. Yeah, the hold's high, but people still just bet into it, right? So until they actually start seeing a problem where they're like, oh, we don't get enough customers and we're kicking out too many people, I don't even think they really need to change. And on that front, I was going to say great points on the whole, like, you know, game betting, uh, making the the better think that uh, he or she is getting the best of it, which is awesome. One thing that I realized, uh, awesome promotion that one of the books is doing is actually Barstool, which is actually outside of the whole, like, banning people and whatever and limits. I know they're quick to limit, but outside of that, I think Barstool is actually becoming like one of my favorite books promotion wise. Not that I am able to use it here in Canada, but the promos they're running are, you know, a lot of, a lot of what they do is like merch based, right? So like a hoodie, you might, um, so if you back this team, if you, if you bet Michigan in their bowl game and Michigan wins, then you get this hoodie, you get this Barstool hoodie, which they probably sell on the site for 60 bucks, maybe cost them 10 15 bucks to make and they're getting signups and deposits because people want that hoodie and they're like, Oh, if I win this game, I get this hoodie. And now what they've done is if somebody deposits the barstool and they win that game, they get that hoodie, which costs barstool, but whatever, 15, 20 bucks, probably even less. Actually. I don't, I don't know how, what it costs now. Well, I don't know the quality of them. So yeah. I haven't seen the hoodie, but you can obviously make a hoodie pretty cheap. And then there's some that are expensive depending on the branding. But uh, what I was going to say is they, they give that out. And then what that does is now if Michigan wins that game, two things happen. Number one is that person gets that hoodie. They're constantly reminded every time they wear that hoodie or wear it with their friends. Oh, sick hoodie. Yeah. I deposited in Barstool. I bet on Michigan. They won. I won my bet and I got this hoodie. Like it's a constant reminder that something good just happened when they bet and they have it and they remember the win. And for some of the promos, they do win or lose, but what happens is if, if that bet wins, you get that hoodie. Like now you have an extra, you deposited 50. Now you have a hundred in your account. Like you, let's be realistic. Most people are just going to lose that hundred. You know, if you play long enough, like you mentioned, compound that negative edge, you're likely going to lose that hundred. So 
for Barstool, they're, they're pushing deposits and they're tying it with a positive reinforcement back that gives you a, a, a positive thought in your mind when you win. And that's something that I always just like never really considered that, but it, it's kind of like giving someone a reminder like, ah, what a sick bet. You know, it's like as if you could all your best bets that made you so happy, the lucky wins you had, the big parlays that you cashed when you were growing up, coming up. If you had like a reminder for each of those would be so awesome. Like, oh, this player um, cashed me this game because he ran, he got this crazy pick six in overtime and I just got his jersey. And now I have this random cornerback from 2005 on the Dolphins that I have his jersey now. And every time I wear that, I'm happy about sports betting. I think that's a serious, I know I've talked an ear off here, but I think that's a serious thing that they're doing that gives them a leg up on every other book, in my opinion, right now. And it's quickly becoming one of my favorite promos. What do you think there? I Yeah, I mean, I I, I can see the value there and from the, from the book side of things. Um, you know, I... Do I want to wear a barstool hoodie? Well, forget about no, forget no, about no, the no, bread. For, for, forget yeah, about the and, bread. And forget about you and forget about the whole barstool thing. It's it doesn't have to be a barstool hoodie. It Correct. could be anything. For you, it yeah, could have been a circa why, hoodie as yeah. an example. Or not even right. a, it doesn't even have to be a branded thing. It could just be you get this thing that you use. You know what it I mean? It reminds you. Yes. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It that, reminds you of that feeling of winning. I, exactly. I, I agree. That's a good a good psychological uh, you know, comp. Yeah, market marketing tactic, and and honestly, Barstool sells a ton of merch, and and they sell it, that stuff. It's you know a big business for them, also similar to like a lot of the influence type things, YouTubers selling a lot of merch and things like that. So there is a huge market for that. A lot of people want to buy that, and even if it's not Barstool branded directly, like there's certain podcasts or things like that. You know, back, uh, you know, Whitney and and uh, Paul Bizanet, two former NHL players, with their podcast that's become pretty big. So it's kind of like. Yeah, if, you, if you're a fan of that podcast and you're a hockey fan, you don't even have to be a Barstool fan. You could just be a fan of those two guys and be a hockey fan. They bring on a ton of ex-NHLers, current NHLers. Are, it's a cool podcast, in my opinion. Um, and if you're a fan of that podcast, you want a sweater, it's like, okay, deposit the Barstool. It's an awesome promo to get that stuff. I, I'm impressed with what they've done on that, despite the fact that, obviously, you know, there are definitely things wrong with the Barstool Sportsbook, as there are with other books as well. Um, you've been very generous with your time, Jack. Um, we had Adam Chernoff on last week. I had talked to you off air beforehand. You said you listened to the episode. Um, you, I consider both yourself and Adam to be some of the best educators in the space. So I actually kind of wanted to run through a few questions that I asked him towards the end of the podcast um, and provide potentially some educational content for those that are listening out there that maybe have not seen your stuff before or would like to get your point of view. So I will start with... If you could give a piece of advice to a new better entering the space, what would it be? Uh, I mean, obviously, my one piece of advice would be the same one that Adam gave that I think anybody would give is that open up as many sportsbook accounts as you can. The more outs you have, the more line shopping you do, the, the, the less you're going to lose just based on your, your price sensitivity. Um, but since he gave that answer, I, I do have like a backup answer I, I kind of thought of. Um, ignore the FOMO of sports betting. Ignore the, the fear of missing out on things. Like everyone's going to be talking about the Super Bowl coming up. If you're not betting the Super Bowl, if you're more of like a fast better, don't feel like you need to have a bet on the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, there was a UFC fight this weekend. If, if, you know, late Saturday night, if you're suddenly like everyone on Twitter is talking about who they're betting on the UFC, that doesn't mean you have to go make a bet. So ignore the FOMO uh, that comes with sports betting 
that you think you need to have a bet on something or you need to be looking to make a bet on something. Uh, I agree. That's unless a good you're, one. It depends how, how down bad you are on Saturday. <laughs> yeah, unless you're chasing from your Saturday <laughs> NFL losses uh, this week because we got some NFL playoffs. No, I'm just joking, by the way. I don't know if people can sense the sarcasm uh, sometimes with me. All right, number two. What is one common piece of betting advice that you think is often overstated uh, or just straight up false where people are often misled by this piece of advice? Uh, I, this is an easy answer for me. Push frequency charts. Uh, there's a certain site that rhymes with the word wager talk that likes to run out this old guy who has created these push frequency charts. Uh, 14% of games land on a three. So therefore the three is worth 14%. No, the, the, if a game, if a team is favored by three and they win by three, that's a push frequency. That's a push probability. All the games in the world whether it be, you know, whoever the favorite of the dog is, whatever the spread landing on three, yes, that's around 14%. But that doesn't mean the push frequency of the three is 14%. Um, look, you can use the tools that unabated to kind of to figure out exactly what it's worth. But I can't stand that this still has legs all these years later. He updated the chart again. And people are like, oh, look, all this new information since the two point, uh, since the extra point was moved back. Oh, they're still just, oh, it drives me crazy. Um, push frequency chart from, from Wager Talk. Yeah, I, that, that I think that's sense. the first reference ever of per, push frequency on Circles Off. For episode number 40, it took us to get there, but obviously you're very passionate about that. I know exactly what you're talking about. Drives me up the wall as well. Um, last one. What is one thing that's currently happening in the betting space that absolutely drives you insane? You can't reuse And the, don't the reuse previous. what you just said. And, and what can be okay. done to fix it? Well, you know, I mean, look, look how triggered I get on push frequency. Just imagine <laughs> what really makes me insane. Um, look, I, I, I thought of a few because um, you did tell me you were going to ask me these three questions. So um, first one, bet percentages, you know, 70% of the public and 65% of the money is on this. Bet percentages are bullshit. They're going to get me going they here. Don't, they don't indicate anything. If you are getting bet percentages from a, a book that only took sharp action, then yes, they might be a little indicative. But you're not. You're getting it from DraftKings and points bet. You know, and, Pinnacle and put up the bet percentages now. That information out there. Pinnacle, what was that? Pin, you know, Pinnacle put up their own bet percentages now, on the site. Yeah, exactly. And but and it's not. Thing, re- like, it's I'm not real. Not There's sure. no way it's real, though. Right. I'm not so sure Pinnacle is taking the sharp action anymore. Like, it, but that's another topic. Um, but I a couple others that I know. the lottery mentality of out sports betting. Um, this feeling of like everything's got to be the same game. The, what do you call it? The boom banger or whatever, you know, like the, the, the multi-team parlay, come on with this, you know, stop making people think this is a lottery product. Um, it's, it's disingenuous. It's, it's not helping anybody. Um, you know, and then the, th- the third one is what I kind of referenced earlier is that sports books can't take sharp action. You know, the, uh, what did Jason Robbins say? You know, market manipulators, they like, whatever like the you you wouldn't know sharp action if you tripped over it so why can't you take it you don't even know how to use it that's the problem so the 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 kind of sports books that we can't take sharp action you know we'd be broke tomorrow if we did no you wouldn't so that's what you're that's what makes me insane but anyone that follows me on twitter already knew i hate all those things yeah the uh the second one you mentioned Holy, or sorry, I think it was actually the first one, the bet percentages versus the win percentage. I, I get triggered so much on that because people 
legitimately make their bets based on that whole like reverse line movement thing. And that, and the the people who make their bets based on that are typically like, um, think they're super, super educated in the space. They're like, this is the way you beat it. Like you, they say like, Oh, you guys just picking your sides. You're never going to win at sports betting. And they're like, this is how you win. And then they bring up that. So that's why it even triggers me a little more because it's not like it's just someone's opinion that they're betting it out. It's usually that's the thing that people are trying to teach other people about. Here's how you win. And the reality is like, it just couldn't be, there's, there's no value in it. It's literally just a neutral. It's not value. It's not, not value. Yeah. Pick, pick, like if you bet on that, you're still going to just have the same hold as if you bet whatever. It's not like you're gaining, it's not bad. It's just nothing. That's all it is. I would actually argue it's a net negative um, for those who are listening or watching. Uh, The the whole notion of reverse line movement or using public bet percentages, people tend to wait till later in the week or closer to the game to get as much information as possible to make their bet. And they're actually just betting into a much more efficient market. Like they're waiting for someone to move the line and then they're they're basically chasing the steam at, at that point. So it's actually... I would argue that it's a net negative for anyone that's looking at that and, and using reverse line movement as a way to bet because now they're betting into a more efficient market. Uh, I'm glad we got a three for one out of you well, on they're, Jack. They're on chasing the steam at the worst price. That's exactly. the, that's the right. problem with it, not chasing the steam. Okay, Cap Jack, um, it's, been a, it's been a long one. Thank you so much for your time. Our closing question, uh, and then we'll let you go for sure, and we'll make sure uh, we plug all your stuff at the end. If you could go back five years and talk to a previous version of yourself, what piece of advice would you give uh, to your old self? It's the same question we ask all of our guests uh, at the end of the podcast. Right. And I, I won't give the jokey answer of buy Bitcoin or, <laughs> you know, bet on this team. Uh, no, here's the thing. Seriously, disabuse myself of short-term thinking. And it's something I still struggle with. The fact that you, you know, look, we, we all log our progress, you know, whether it be on BetStamp or whether it be, you know, spreadsheets that you make. And it's tough not to look at the short term, look at what the results are today or this week or this month. And none of that matters. Like for tax purposes, yes, your annual win loss matters. But overall, like if I look, I have the I have same spreadsheet I've been using for the past decade. And I can go back to 2011 or so, and I can pull up the chart of 2011 to 2022. And you know what? It goes, it goes right up through the roof. That's what I should be thinking about is the fact that I've had this edge. I keep maintaining this edge. I keep growing this edge. Relax with that. You know, just think, you know, this, that's all that really matters. Stop thinking about yesterday. I lost, you know, 12,000 on this, or, you know, this week I'm down this amount. It, it doesn't matter. It, it's, it's that long-term. It's a, it's like I said before, if you play long enough, you'll lose if you don't have an edge, but if you do have an edge, if you play long enough, you'll win. And so that's what I need to do. And, and I still struggle with it sometimes. And um, I would have been in a lot better headspace over the years had I kind of felt that and been able to believe that uh, at times when I would, you know, maybe get down about a, a negative swing. So, yeah. I think we've all been there and it's uh, some good advice. Uh, so everyone, this has been episode 40 of Circles Off. If you haven't checked out the video yet, if you are still listening to the audio Continue listening to the audio. It's all good. Check out the YouTube if you do prefer to watch stuff live. We've got a cool setup here, a uh, little studio, Rob and I. You can see Captain Jack on the TV. This will be our fourth episode uh, on YouTube. 
And uh, while you're on YouTube, definitely check out Captain Jack's channel. As we mentioned before, it's at uh, it's just Captain Jack Andrews. If you search just Captain Jack, you're going to find some uh, pirate boating stuff. <laughs> if you search Captain Jack Andrews, you're going to get the goods for sports betting content. So that's what you're going to want to search. Um, and uh, you can follow him on Twitter at CapJack2000. And then a lot of this, these uh, products and tools he's been mentioning and referencing to are a part of his company, unabated.com where you can find these simulator tools the line comparison and um do you have the push the push probability chart there's no chart but you could derive one um and after we stand up a paywall we're going to be a little more open about like getting charts up there rather than having you enter things into the tool manually each time okay so there you go so no charts yet but uh go sign up there and as you mentioned it's free to use right now and hopefully some uh, some cool stuff coming in the near future Thanks, everyone. Uh, Appreciate you tuning in.